Well, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. So, we're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're here for our week eight NFL preview Thursday edition. How you doing, man? Good. How about you? Doing great. Ready Excellent. to go. Did you recover from the pepper yesterday? Yeah. It was, you know, 20 minutes. And then I could feel the outline of my stomach for a while. And after that, it was good. Yeah. Check it out yesterday. Yesterday's show, of course, we always have the midweek Wednesday show. We've already previewed Thursday night football. We did that yesterday with the Bucs. Uh, for the Bucks ravens with Trevor Sikama of It's Just Football here at PFF. And uh, you ate a Euphoria Pepper. Yes. On the show. It Live not. on the show. I don't, forget the, I don't have the timestamp for it, but go check it out toward the end of the show. It was not euphoric. It was not. Just before the uh, Explain the Grade segment, if you're looking for it in the timestamps. There you go. Just before Explain the Grade, and yeah, you uh, powered through Explain the Grade yeah. right after that. All right, we're going to be more efficient here today. That's the promise. Got to make an airport run. We got a hard out here. Okay. So we got to go. Let's mm-hmm. get moving. Full, I mean, just full disclosure. So we're honest. We all took the Ravens, right? We all took the Ravens, right? I'm still going to go Costanza. I'm not going to do. We did have a uh, suggestion that I should just flip a coin. It's now minus two, but we're locked in at minus one. It's the way this works. It's minus two Ravens? Uh, yes. Oh, I heard no. the, bu- the Bucks, Bucks are favored now. Bucks now. We got it. At, we are hap- locked in at Ravens minus one. Oh, so I know that the, those line moves don't mean a whole lot, but what happened that changed the line in the last couple of days? Just pure action? I guess. I don't think anything Bucks significant action. has happened uh, like personnel-wise, right? Uh, don't th- I mean, both teams are hurt. Sure. Both like, teams are missing players. Yeah, so, so that's that, Thursday Night Football. That previewed it. moved three, three points in the last 24 hours. <clears throat> we previewed that yesterday, so in, enjoy the football tonight. Let's get into this weekend's actions. action. The uh, games of the week. Who the heck knows? But this one was supposed to be one of the best games of the week. Green Bay Packers at the Buffalo Bills. It's Sunday Night Football for the first time in Aaron Rodgers' career. His team is more, more than a 10-point underdog in a football game. Uh, Buffalo's favored by 11 and a half here. Yeah, this is one of those ones that looked better in the offseason. And then, you know, eight weeks into the, yeah. into the year, you're like, yeah. I was um, talking to Chris last night. He was like, yeah, this was, you know, they, the networks put in their requests. Yeah. This, was, this was a big request mm-hmm. for, uh, for Sunday Night Football. I mean, I think it'll still do, it, it, it feels like a good ratings game still, you yeah. know, because it's Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, a kind of, you know, royalty franchise against the best team in the NFL right now. Um, so that, from that point of view, it looks good. But 11.5 point spread, like, this feels like it could get ugly. And Rodgers is busy, you know, making a lot of comments about how it's everybody else's fault, you know what I mean? Like, people are making mental mistakes. You need to get those guys out of the game, put the young guys in that aren't, you know, screwing up on the sidelines. Do you then, agree? How do you feel about that? Well, I think it's probably true to a large degree. Um, I would have felt better about it if he hadn't then – when asked about how his performance has been, say, well, I got the best grade I'd had all season this week, according to the coach. You know. It's true. If it's true. It might be true, but this is another example of, like, there are things that are true, and then there are things that you shouldn't say. And if you're busy throwing everybody else under the bus, whilst you're not obviously playing your best football right now, maybe don't, you know. What do you you think you should have said? You know, like, uh, 
hey, we could all, we just have to execute better, let's ride. Do you think that would have played better? I mean, anything other than I played great, you know? I want to see Russ go to more football teams just so he has more taglines. Yeah. You know? You know, go Hawks and let's ride. And what would the next tagline be? All right, sorry. Don't, we're not getting off the rails. No, don't. Uh, have, don't have Aaron Rodgers, though, you know, taking a little bit of heat for for basically saying, yeah, I, like I graded well. Yeah. Like my coach said, my coach said I did well. Coach said I was great. Everyone else stinks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, PFF grades don't necessarily back that up. He was it, it wasn't his best game of the year by our grades, but it was just another mid-tier type of game for Aaron Rodgers, which is what he's really been playing at for the yeah. majority of the season. Yeah, and look, season. I think a large part of that is driven by receivers not being reliable and all those kinds of things. This, though, you're going up against the best pass rush in the NFL. It's just, it's not a good matchup. All that said, flirting, this is... Flirting with a sneeze right now. Oh, yeah, that's the worst. Threatening to hit. But this no. is the... I hope the pepper comes through no, it's gone, from man. yesterday. It's gone. We're good. So, oh, yeah, this says review. Oh, can we change the title? It says Week 8 Review hmm. instead of Preview. They I mean, called yeah. us out yeah. in the chat here. Then they're asking me to do a lemon drop. I'm not doing a lemon drop. Well, re- we graded well. I can't speak for the booth. You know, young guys making mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we showed up. We knew it was the preview. I just tweeted out it was the preview, I, I think. Let's see. Yeah, I called it a preview. Well, coach gave me the best grade of the season. Yeah, I mean, they're so over there in the booth dropping passes and, you know. My camera's off. Look at this. I'm like off the camera. Mistakes are being made. Look at this setup. If I lean back, I'm off the camera. Got to get what a mess. Got to get some people off the field. Like we're doing our job. Maybe we get the backups in there. Can we get some backups, please? Are you just bitter because they brought you peppers yesterday? No. Because Stone brought you peppers. You guys, we're just joking, all right? Because people get sensitive sometimes. Not you guys, but you know other people think we're being jerks. Nobody's watching because uh, because it's a review show. It's true. Where's all the where's all the viewers? They're so confused. We're not gonna watch. Now it's changed to preview. It's good now. Here come the people. So uh, can Green Bay even keep keep this close? Right. Again, I I keep referencing this concept that if this game was played four weeks ago, the spread's four five. Like it's probably tighter. We know more about both teams, and even though it's Aaron Rodgers and, and physically he's still there. Right. Yeah. I mean, let's. Let's just get to that narrative stuff about the older quarterbacks. I think when you watch Rodgers and you watch Brady, physically, there's not really a drop-off there. You know, Brady has a few throws where maybe you kind of see it, but it's not... I think with age, people want to draw a line in the sand, right? And say, anytime somebody's playing bad, this is it. Let's draw a line in the sand. They're too old. There's whatever it is. Because historically, we've seen that stuff, right? We've seen Peyton Manning play differently. We've seen Drew Brees play differently. We just saw Matt Ryan look different over these last couple of years. But like Justin Herbert's going through a slump right now. Mm-hmm. And nobody's saying, well, that's it. He's lost it. You know, I, I think Rodgers and Brady physically are still there. So my point here with Rodgers, he's physically still there. Like if a receiver runs a few more route, better routes and they catch the ball better. I know I've been saying if they catch the ball better for seven weeks. Hmm. Like they can figure this out in Green Bay. They have... They have good pieces. They have Aaron Jones and a good running game. And uh, Matt LaFleur uh, has been good scheming it up these last couple of years. I think the Packers can turn it around. I don't know if they could turn around and beat the Bills. Yeah. But they can make this better in Green Bay in the coming weeks. They, they really need David Bakhtiari to be out there. As good as Zach Tom has played in limited snaps in preseason and regular season, I don't want him facing off against Von Miller in this Bills pass rush. David Bakhtiari being back out there would be huge. But, man, the, the Bills are going to bring this elite pass rush to the table. I was on Bills radio earlier in the week, and they're kind of like, it, 
feels like quite a safe game for Buffalo. Like, is it? You know, is there a way Green Bay wins this? You know, like, really, if there is, it's because you can never discount Rodgers deciding today's the day I'm going to show up and be amazing. You know, because the guy obviously has that talent. He's one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. Apparently, he's he's grading as well as ever, according to his Yeah, he's coming off his best game of the week of the year. So you can just never quite rule out the idea that even with no receiving help, Rodgers is going to have one game where he just decides to hell with it. I'm going to be amazing today. And because of that, we're going to win. If that doesn't happen, though, it's really hard to see how they hang with a team as good as Buffalo. Yeah. Look at this stealth from Renner. And just... It's just football. It's just... <laughs> Chief plug for it's just football as Mike Renner comes in, grabs all of his stuff. Enjoy the tacos upstairs. Um, yeah, like if, if Rodgers decides to, like, don't you feel he, like he's going to be motivated, right? You of course, going to be motivated. Like, he doesn't get to face Patrick Mahomes because he, you know, there, there's always something injuries yeah. or COVID I mean, or whatever. He gets to go up against Josh Allen head to head and say, hey, look, I can still make these throws in my late 30s. Yeah, look, it's one of those games where. In a way, there isn't much pressure on the Packers because they're expected to get annihilated in this game. So from that point of view, you can you can sort of see it and say, well, maybe they the pressure's off, they roll in, they, they show what they're capable of. But if they don't, they're going to get wrecked. Um, Buffalo's just really good all around, right? They've got the pass rush we've talked about. They're just sound uh, from a coverage standpoint. And Josh Allen is playing at MVP caliber level both from a pass game perspective, also from uh, what he does in the run game. And they've got good receivers. I think the one question in Buffalo, though, is their offensive line. You, you had that incredible stat, right? You were looking up Zach Wilson's stats and his numbers under pressure. What do you have under – what's Josh Allen doing when pressured this year? Because the line hasn't been great in Buffalo. When, so when you factor in yardage lost through sacks, as well as scrambles, as well as passing plays, Josh Allen is averaging – 12 yards every play he's pressured in crazy generally play gets worse when you're pressured but every single snap this season that josh allen has been pressured on his average production whether it's a scramble whether it's a passing play even factoring in yards lost for sacks is 12 that's madness patrick mahomes was at 6.6 i think and then zach wilson was at like 1.2 but 12 yards for every play he's pressured that's that's crazy that's yeah. absurd now uh on one hand you say that's very impressive that's like his skill set because he can run he can run he can make plays under pressure he has receivers to get open he has a 99 yard touchdown or 98 yard touchdown in there as well he's under pressure on that play that helps on the other hand you say maybe that's going to regress a little bit and the packers have the ability to get pressure up front and in any given week we could see allen you know, regress a little bit in that number. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's clearly a massive outlier, an anomalous kind of number, and you would expect it to regress at some point. And any time you're relying on play under pressure, it's an inherently volatile, chaotic data point. Because when you're being run down by Rashawn Gary, sure, you might be able to find a receiver to throw the ball to and, and everything's good. On the other hand, you might panic. You know, he might strip sack you, cause a fumble, or you might just have a bad throw end up pitching it right to a safety like anything could happen so yeah right now he's playing out of his mind under pressure and has been all season long but that's always a data point that could go against you in a hurry all right let's get to our picks here buffalo by 11 and a half sunday night football where are you going uh i'm taking the bills i think the packers could end up getting absolutely mullered in this game 
Yeah, see, I think my my initial instinct that I'm going to go against, again, this entire show, is that Green Bay is going to keep it close, that you are going to get this uh, more of like a special Aaron Rodgers type of game. That's what I'm feeling. Therefore, definitely taking Buffalo to cover here. You're not going to go it. with the – we had a comment that said what you should do is to, you know, talk out the game, express your thoughts, and then flip a coin. Heads, you go with your what you think, and tails, you – at the exact opposite of what you think. No, because I'm, I'm coming off a good week. I'm going to go with the same Costanza strategy right now. Next week, okay. maybe we'll probably flip a coin. Okay. I'm, I'm willing to move to the flip a coin right. idea. But it's flip a coin right. based off your analysis, you know, not just flipping a coin on the game. No, I understand. It's very different. No, I understand. I understand. I understand the concept. Okay. We'll, 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 we'll maybe dabble that with that next week. we got some breaking news that we're going to get to in just a minute. But first, I'm going to get very dramatic and say, Sam, your kicker's lining up for an onside kick. Mm -hmm. The chances of regaining possession are slim. The stakes are high. The tension's higher. Your pulse is racing. He kicks it. You see that big bounce really high. And you can make every play. Feel this exciting with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, and their unbeatable offers. Right now, new customers can make any $5 NFL bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check it out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped up same game parlay. So you could talk about the Bills. You can have a nice Bills plus Josh Allen. You'd have Bills plus the over. You know, just, you know, if you're really feeling like the Bills are going to crush and Rogers is going to have a good game, you can put it all together with the same game parlays. So you can make it even sweeter and throw down on these stepped up same game parlays once per game day all season long so download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets if your team wins just place a $5 bet on any football game only at DraftKings Sportsbook using the code PFF all right breaking news is we're we're gonna we're gonna go out of order here on Mm -hmm. your preview sheet we're gonna jump right to the Giants game Giants at the Seahawks Seahawks are favored by three against the six and one Giants and the breaking news is the Giants have just traded former first-round pick Kadarius Tony to the Kansas City Chiefs. Has that been confirmed? I think I saw it from Schefter as well. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's everywhere. Uh, Jordan Schultz, Jonathan Jones. We see the tweet right there. Um, if I tweet it out, will somebody give me credit? Yeah, why not? Uh, does it matter who's first? Ari tweeted it. Ari's tweeted, tweeted it per PFF. Uh, third and a sixth rounder, I believe, was the compensation there. From conditional the, so third and a sixth. Conditional third and a sixth. Get it right. The condition is probably Kadarius Tony has to play more than 200 snaps. <laughs> At some point. Um, but an interesting move for the Kansas City Chiefs, who are already an explosive offense. And we thought all this offseason, maybe they would miss Tyree Kill a little bit. They haven't really missed him. But you've got Juju Smith-Schuster playing well. You've got the – they're coming off the Mecole Hardman game where he had three touchdowns. And you have even more receiver insurance and maybe more long-term insurance as uh, Juju's only on a one-year deal here in Kansas City. So a high upside play for the Chiefs. For the Giants, you're getting compensation basically for a player that's done nothing for you. And as a new regime in New York, you know, a guy that you're not only not tied to, but obviously don't have a whole lot of faith in going forward. So, yeah, seems like a good deal for both teams. I mean, on the one hand, thank God the Giants just got rid of this guy because they were never going to play him. Like, he was never seeing the field for them. And maybe this is an endless string of random injuries that happens to have happened. Or maybe this is, you know emblematic of the problems that they have with Kadarius Tony, with Kenny Galladay, like the the big splash plays from the previous regime to try and fix wide receiver have both crashed and burned and just getting him out of New York feels like a win for everybody. Um, now you get to the idea of Kadarius Tony within this Kansas City offense. I mean, 
that has the potential to be pretty exciting. We the, the one game where he showed his potential was against Dallas last year, and he looked like a star. Granted, it was absolutely one game, but you made the point when he was during draft time coming out that year that he does move differently. You know, the same way <sighs> Tyreek Hill you know, moves differently on the field. There's certain guys that move at different speeds or have different levels of agility. I think Tony does have that. Certainly a slot first type of player. I don't think Kansas City needs to turn him into a true outside receiver at all. That was also one of the questions coming out of the draft. Do you actually want to develop him as an outside guy, keep him in the slot? I think they could get some production out of him as just a dynamic slot. Again, all all pending injury, right? All pending availability here. But feels like a nice upside play for the Chiefs. And again, smart by the Giants to just uh, cut ties and at least get something in return. And I think it's another good contingency kind of move. Like, okay, he's got his own contingency because apparently the man has no hamstrings that function. Um, but Marquez Valdez-Scantling has been banged up a lot in his career. Juju has been banged up a lot in his career. They don't appear to trust Sky Moore 100% yet. So Miko Hardman seems to be at the root of every bad play that happens with the Chiefs in terms of miscommunication. Um, so if, if one of those guys goes down, you know, and all of a sudden you have to pivot to the next guy up, that could be a hit. Okay, Travis Kelsey is obviously still the number one guy, but trying to get a guy like Tony that could be a real impact playmaker for you and more importantly – step up into a larger role if one of those guys at the top of your depth chart goes down I think is smart for them yeah I pretty much like all moves that take shots on explosive playmakers especially a team like the Chiefs where you just don't want to take any chances not having weapons for Patrick Mahomes when you're trying to compete with the Bills who we just talked about so the Giants actual game here again they're going to go in as underdogs again you know just like they were last week in Jacksonville the Giants continue to just come through fourth quarter third uh, third straight game with a fourth quarter comeback last week uh defense cracking down in the second half daniel jones playing a much more efficient brand of football these last few weeks as well so what are you looking for in this giants seahawks game this week the disrespected giants yet again underdogs once more yet i again. actually think last week was a bit harsh <laughs> you know the the jags aren't very good I, I don't think the giants are amazing but the jags don't really have enough i thought that the giants would cover last week they did they won um this one though feels like a pretty good litmus test game okay it's on the road to the west coast that's its own thing but seattle with geno smith have the better quarterback this year geno smith is playing fantastically daniel jones is playing well but he's not playing as well as geno um the seahawks have receiving weapons they've got a reasonable offensive line this year for the first time in years uh, even without Rashad Penny, they've got Kenneth Walker playing what, really well in the backfield. That's a good offense to test the Giants' defense. And on the flip side, you know, you've been talking about how the Seahawks' defense is much improved with all the, the players that they have. Somebody was looking at their um, draft class and saying that, like, this could be – remember the draft class that kind of started the last run of Seattle yeah. when they, they had that group and they, they found the core of basically an entire championship run in one draft class – you look at their group this year it looks very similar all every pick they made seems to be a hit so far so all of a sudden this is actually a decent looking seahawks team and i think a much better reflection of where the giants actually are uh we've, we've talked a little bit about uh kenneth ken walker uh breaking out these last few weeks had that 74 yarder to seal the deal he's forced 15 missed tackles over the last two games uh looking just fantastic as a runner but he's averaging over six yards a carry which is what Rashad Penny was doing mm -hmm. since the middle of last season before he got hurt early, you know, a couple weeks back. 
And it, it's not like Seattle, there's not like a data point that says, oh, of course, Seattle runs the ball. They have a great offensive line or a great run scheme. I don't know what it is exactly. Maybe they're just awesome at evaluating running backs. But they've had two guys now in a limited sample average a ridiculous six plus yards per carry not that that has to be sustained or anything like that but they're doing some good stuff with the seattle run game even before with chris carson there before he had to retire uh very good just creating beyond the run blocking so my point is seattle has had a big play run game since about the middle of 2021 and it's not necessarily because you're looking at this offensive line of maulers or anything like that they've just found a way to create these explosive plays in the run game and when you pair that with the way Geno Smith has played football, and yeah, he's he's regressed a little bit these last couple of weeks. Geno had some some bad turnover-worthy plays the last week. He's missed a few more throws. But overall, he's been very good. And then the emergence of the defense and Tariq Woolen and you know Daryl Taylor made a big, huge play last week. Seattle's a I feel better about Seattle's a team now than I did three or four weeks ago. Oh, much better. Yeah, like they are they're legitimately a lot better than people expected them to be. And by people, I include myself in that. Like this, Geno Smith on his own playing good football would take the Seahawks to a place different than most people thought they could get to this season. Geno Smith plus what looks like a draft class for the ages and a couple of other things working in their favor has this team in a genuinely different category than they were supposed to be. So that's why I think it is a good test for the Giants who obviously have the better record and are trying to sort of shake off this disrespected um, label that's been thrown their way all throughout the season. Like, this is why this is a good test of a game for them. We get to see Kayvon Thibodeau going up against the two rookies on the Seattle offensive line, Charles Cross and Abe Lucas, both uh, starting tackles there. Uh, Giants defense blitzes like crazy. Geno's uh, passing grade is about 60, you know, much lower than his overall passing grade this season. So we might see it might be a good matchup for the Giants as far as the way their aggressive defense likes to play. Uh, DK Metcalf would banged up last week. Don't think he's going to be back this week. I don't think, right, at this point. Um, that could be a factor because we've seen we've seen Geno Smith have a pretty good connection with DK Metcalf dating back to Geno's starts last season. So um, I think I would lean Seattle in this one because of uh, just I feel I just like the way their team is playing right now. Got to credit the Giants running game. We highlighted that on the review show the other day. Daniel Jones had seven first downs on the ground the other day. Saquon Barkley, as a compliment, they're doing a good job just kind of uh, taking the uh, those cheat codes, right? QB rushing and just uh, making, making use of them. So mm -hmm. I would lean to Seattle, which means I'm taking the Giants. <laughs> I will lean to the Giants, and therefore we'll take the Giants. All right, we're both on the Giants. We're both on the Bills. Let's go New England at the Jets. Patriots, Jets. Patriots favored by two and a half, despite coming off their bad loss on Monday Night Football. Mm. Um, <clears throat> Patriots really a tough team to figure out right now, right? Because they started slow, one and three, looked terrible on offense. And then for two straight weeks, it was an old school Patriots team, which they showed flashes of last year, right? When they played lesser teams last year, they just dominated, which included the Jets, by the way. And now that's what you think they could have done to the Bears, right? It seemed like they had this advantage. They were eight-point favorites, and they get crushed, 33-14. to 14. Uh, Mac Jones sounds like he'll be getting the start against the Jets. And uh, I know you have all sorts of good Zach Wilson nuggets in this game. What are, you, what are you looking for here? Did this line feel weird to you? The Jets are 5-2, and two, the Patriots are 3-4, and four, right? They're coming off an ugly loss to Justin Fields. 
No, because I think I think when you even it out has as ineffective. I, I'm curious where Jets fans stand right now on Zach Wilson because the pass game has really been terrible. They're winning despite it. Um, and are you saying, boy, we're really worried about winning in the future with Zach Wilson, or it's just like, just win, baby. Who cares? He's fine. From experience. But that's what... <laughs> over the last week, most Jets fans are of the opinion that this is just, you know, this is how you play ball. Efficient run game. Zach Wilson getting it done, you know? It's not that we. It's not that we've gone away. I feel from like the, the vocal one, the the ones who feel that way are going to be more vocal, and the people who are maybe realistic are but just going to sit at home and be like, "Oh, I hope this doesn't all fall apart." There appears to be a lot less people believing that they've gone away from the past game because Zach Wilson is the quarterback. Um, then there are people thinking this is just the good way. This is how you win football games, and Zach Wilson's doing what you need him to. Yeah, so that's why I, I think the the spread kind of makes sense because. I don't want to overweigh just the Monday night game as far as the Patriots go. And how much do you want to weigh the Jets being so good defensively against bad quarterbacks, by the way, these last few weeks? They've played lesser quarterbacks. Well, and Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. The Jets defense playing extremely well, but with a just very ineffective pass offense. And you don't have Brees Hall. Like, Brees Hall's been fantastic. Can he really bust off a 40, 50, 60 yarder every single game? Even if he was healthy, that was going to be difficult to sustain. Yeah, but they did um, they did a good job of, I think, mitigating that loss by getting James Robinson. They I, This just feels like if you white-labeled the two teams and said this is Team A and Team B, who wins? Or what's the point spread? It's not two and a half in favor of the Patriots. Like, I don't really see a way that the Patriots are – that kind of favorite now two and a half it's but you know it's close but the jets i think have a better defense they the skill position players are at least comparable probably better for the jets um like the only real issue granted it's a pretty significant one is zach wilson at quarterback and that's where the whole thing could come to crashing down around their ears because wilson has the worst pressure splits i've ever seen in my life and, okay, we're, we're still dealing with really small sample sizes with Wilson in totality, let alone this season. But, you know, we're talking four games this year. We're talking, what, whatever he's up to for his entire career, under 20 at this point. Um, so it's a very small sample size of any kind of data, let alone subsets like pressure on off, all that kind of stuff. But his performance under pressure is catastrophic right now. And... This isn't just like a spreadsheet thing where you look at the data points and you're like, wow, this is terrible. Like, he, he looks this way. You know, you watch him play, and it looks uncontrolled. It looks like a guy without a plan. It looks like somebody just desperately trying to make something happen without any real idea of how to do it. Anytime he's pressured, almost without fail. And by the way, pressure doesn't always mean it's coming from the defense. Pressure includes those plays where he's vacating a clean pocket, and then there's late pressure, like yeah, in this or, sample size. And, and th those of, are happening. A lot of the times free rushers it's a quarterback thing like free rushers right generally is responsible for either setting the protections or understanding at least where the protection is and therefore where the quick pressure is coming from and therefore what to do with the ball and right? then usually throwing the ball quickly before yes. the quick pressure gets there, so unblocked. even if there's free pressure it should rarely be surprising to the quarterback you know most free yeah. pressure the quarterback even if he's letting it come through should be aware of the fact that it's going to come through. And if he isn't, repeatedly, that's generally a quarterback problem. Um, and look, the offensive line is bad and falling apart, so that isn't going to help matters. But Wilson playing like this under pressure is an issue. And people have kind of brought up the point that we've preached a lot, that 
you know, play from a clean pocket is more stable, more predictive, and more important, therefore, going forward. This is true, generally, that play from a clean pocket is more predictable, more stable, more predictive going forward than play under pressure. But when you have play under pressure at a certain extreme, it's instructive, you know? There are players that tend to be bad quarterbacks that are abysmal under pressure and no amount of this is a volatile data point and every now and again they'll throw a touchdown will fix that you know rex grossman was garbage under pressure that was never going to be fixed you could spend the next 15 years playing rex grossman he was never going to be a good quarterback under pressure just didn't have it and if you look at the list of quarterbacks that have a pff grade in the 30s for any extended period of time under pressure in the last 10 years it's a who's who of failed top picks it's Blake Bortles, it's Mark Sanchez, it's Blaine Gabbert, it's the guys you don't want to be on a list with if you're a high-end quarterback trying to get it done. So, look, as I said, small sample size. I'm not saying we're there with Zach Wilson yet. I'm just saying that's a concerning data point, and the Patriots have a top 10 pass rush that blitzes a reasonable amount and is creative enough on the back end to add to that. That's how New England wins if they win. On the other side, defensively for the Jets, we've talked a lot about Sauce Gardner, how effective he's been as a rookie. Number two, we've got our uh, early war rankings out there, most valuable players across each position. Sauce is the number two most valuable corner this year by our war metric. And DJ Reed, on the other side, is number five. So the Jets have two of the five most valuable cornerbacks. If you want to point to the reason why the Jets are playing as well as they are, why they have a five and two record, it's that. It's, it's essentially in seven games earning about half of a win, which is a massive number for two non-quarterbacks, earning about half of a win because of essentially two off-season additions, right? A draft pick and a free agent signing. And, and love how the Jets have done that because they built other pieces first before going to that secondary. So um, I think Zach Wilson has to play better, though, for the Jets to sustain this. I would lean Patriots here. I think they've they've had the Jets number over the last couple of years. I think they'll I think the Patriots are gonna win and cover, which means I'll have to take the Jets. <laughs> uh, I and the other thing too, like if we're gonna say Zach Wilson's gonna get better under pressure, you're not saying that but like Mac Jones has shown much better play than he's shown these last couple of weeks. I think Mac Jones will be better. And I think he'll establish himself as the starter and the controversy will go away soon because I don't think he's as bad as he's looked at times this year. Yeah, I think the Jets are probably a better team in a vacuum, but I hate the matchup of Zach Wilson against that Patriots off, or Patriots defense and what they can do and the, the collapsing Jets offensive line. I think that's enough for the Patriots to win and cover. You sound very confident. Yeah. All right, you guys have heard me talk about them before, but our sponsor, Symbol, has their best offer yet for new users. Symbol is offering a $500 risk-free deposit for new users who join the stock market for sports. When you sign up with the code FOOTBALL, your first deposit comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you are hesitant on joining or simply haven't joined yet, now you can with a risk-free deposit. As a reminder, Symbol lets you trade pro and college teams like stocks and earn cash dividend payouts when your teams win. Symbol is a peer-to-peer market that took the thrill of sports betting and turned it into the stock market to give fans a new way to speculate on their favorite pro and college teams. And now you can join with a $500 money-back guarantee. So download the Symbol mobile app for iOS by searching S-I-M-B-U-L-L in the App Store. Use the code FOOTBALL 
to get your risk-free deposit up to $500. When you want to invest in an up-and-coming team like the Giants or the top dog in the Buffalo Bills, Symbol is the place for you. It allows you to buy and sell team stocks and profit from your sports knowledge. So go check it out right now. Symbol in the App Store for iOS. All right, let's get to San Francisco 49ers at the Los Angeles Rams. Niners favored by one and a half here in L.A. Just beat the Rams a couple weeks back because that's what the Niners do. Mm. Yeah, all the time. Many, many straight regular season games, not the NFC Championship last year. Yeah. Um, this, like that Rams offensive line is going to get destroyed, right? I think so. But the look, the Niners are banged up too. And I think you saw a little bit of that against the Chiefs. So the Chiefs are really good, as we had mentioned, about keeping Nick Bosa off balance and stuff like that. But the health that the, you know, the Niners have looked different when you don't have Eric Armstead out there and um, Charles Amenehue and, you know, they've had Drake Jackson and Samson Ebicamp. They've got all these players that are different styles, uh, kind of like I talk about building a basketball team for receivers. They, it's almost like they've done a, that on the defensive line. Tough to block all these guys. Armstead, Ebicam, both questionable again. Yeah, Javon Kinlaw's been on the on the IR. So I think yeah, just but, Nick Bosa. But Nick Bosa against Alaric Jackson. Yeah, but it's one. You know, like what makes the and look. He, he it's generally, what makes Buffalo really good. It's what it has made the Niners good is when you have pressure coming from multiple and look, places. Usually Bosa plays the other side of the line, but they'd be out of their minds if they didn't swap him to try that out you know yeah, what i mean like would you true. rather go up against rob havenstein or alaric jackson take your pick i mean they'd be crazy if they didn't let him tee off against jackson and at least force the rams to show an adjustment so i get what you're saying as far as the matchup goes um by the rams, way and that's just like i mean yeah the, the 49ers are banged up as well but that's less of a problem on the defensive front side than it is on your offensive line that was already bad rams have moved up to third worst in our pass blocking grades so far this year. Oh, congratulations. So there's that. Was that by virtue of not I playing? I think the Titans and Dolphins just dropped a little bit. Right. Because going I mean. into two weeks ago, the Rams. Because the Rams had were, a bye, right? They had a bye. So by virtue yeah. of not playing, they didn't get worse for a week. That's correct. Yeah. So yeah, the offensive line's been an issue. Um, as, had, you know, has, as has Matthew Stafford not just from a grading standpoint, but the the offense looks different, right? I mean, what made them special last year is their ability to create explosive plays, tap into Matthew Stafford's big-time throws. He's only got seven big-time throws this year, average depth of target of 6.6. That's fourth worst, fourth, fourth, fourth lowest in the NFL. We answered that question yesterday. What does ADOT mean? Is it a an indicator of wins and this and that? No, it's, it's, kind of, it's descriptive. Um, and what it's describing is a Rams offense that's throwing the ball short, right? That is just taking the underneath stuff, getting the rid of because they have to, right? I mean, Matthew Stafford with a 62 passing grade and an average depth of target of 6.6. I don't think they're going to win the Super Bowl this year with those things, right? Also, it's a complete different team, different offensive style this year than last year. Yeah, they're averaging 3.5 yards per carry as a team, despite Cooper Cup showing up with a 40 yard, you know, and 10 yards per attempt on a on a rush. Like they can't run the ball. They're trying to get rid of the ball quickly in the pass game because they can't pass protect. And only Cooper Cup is a viable threat as a receiver right now because of this offensive scheme, what they're limited to. This is a bad offense because they're trapped in it with a bad offensive line. And people, I've seen analysis in this game that's like, well, I, I'm, I'm betting into Sean McVay after he's had two weeks to make some adjustments. Like, I mean, okay, number one, Making adjustments has never exactly been high on the list of Sean McVay, um, 
you know, attributes that people praise. And number two, there's no fixing just a terrible offensive line. Like, this is a personnel problem. This isn't a how do you – like, they're already scheming around it as best they can, but the five guys that are in front of you are the five guys you're stuck with, and there's not much wrinkling to do there. The other thing we've talked about was using receiver Ben Skoranek as a fullback. You know, and, and it's like, that's a cool wrinkle. Like, that's a fun wrinkle. It'd be more of a fun wrinkle if it was last year's Rams team, where the foundation was stronger, right? Where Stafford's pushing the ball down the field and they're creating big plays. And then, oh, by the way, you have to game plan for receiver lead blocking and creating mismatches coming out of the backfield as a receiver and all that stuff. But it feels like the Rams are more resorting to Skoranek trickeration and Brandon Powell trick plays this year. They're almost resorting to them rather than those being the icing on the top of a really good foundation of an offense. So, yes, um, Rams have to be better. Ode Abushi's in there playing guard. Which actually might be an upgrade for them. Yeah, but again, you know, it's another, you know, one of those guys we haven't seen a whole lot. And on paper, it looks like an upgrade. But the guy's, you know, been in the NFL since 2014. He had one start against the Panthers a couple weeks ago at a 53 grade. On paper, it's, it's kind of like uh, Quentin Spain. With yeah. the it's Bengals not like a, a fix, couple years but ago. it might actually be a marginal upgrade at one position. It might be. Um, <clears throat> defensively, the Rams still look great, and that's the matchup that I think is always fascinating. Kyle Shanahan's offense going up against the Rams' defense. The Niners do seem to have more success than most against this Rams' defense. And now they've got Christian McCaffrey. You show them, I mean, they had a really good game plan for eliminating Aaron Donald the last time they played. They, you know, had plays coming out in a second they had a ton of quick screens to all those yards after the catch monsters that they've got they had double or triple teams anytime they were actually planning on passing the ball and legitimately you know needing to hold up for any period of time they made sure that Donald had no shot of impacting that game and generally speaking Donald doesn't impact the game much when they play the 49ers other than forcing them to spend the entire week coming up with that game plan so right that's probably what's going to happen again it's another if you just look at the pff grades on the defense for the rams it's such a just a top heavy group once again just slightly different players it's aaron donald is above 90 as usual bobby wagner is playing at about 90 and uh, jalen ramsey at 86 and he's been the most valuable corner again this year the rest of the defense has been average i mean they need to figure out a third or fourth player at any position at any level just to be a little bit more effective there for the Rams I think just because there's more pressure on this defense um, because the offense is so inconsistent it's kind of like how it was in 2020 to be honest 2020 the defense was spectacular the, ran, the offense was inconsistent uh, Niners offensively they ran into one of the best teams in the league last week and you know they they hung tough for a while but I think the Niners defense their injuries just caught up to them both in the secondary and on the defensive line. Uh, but I like the way I think their offense is not that it's just McCaffrey, but I think their offense is going to be, I think they'll be effective. Just comes down to Jimmy G not throw the ball to the defense a couple times a game. Yeah. Per usual. I would take the Niners again just because, yep, they have their number. So I'm going with the Rams. I just, I, there's no way I can buy into that Rams offense flying. So 49ers. All right. Uh, Monday Night Football, Cincinnati Bengals at the Cleveland Browns. The Bengals are favored by three here on the road against Cleveland. Cleveland's two and five. Bengals up to four and three, tied for first in the AFC North with the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, Bengals really turned it around after that start. 
Yeah, I mean, look, they've they've made adjustments. They've made adjust, adjustments offensively. They um, it was a throwback to last year effort for the offense last year. They put it in Burrow's hands early and often. He was dropping dimes down the field. Jamar Chase uncomfortable, but you don't have the Chase familiarity factor in your in your favor here against the Browns. Well, depending on the Browns' injuries at corner. Ooh, there you go. You know? So is it a team thing or is it just an individual player thing? I mean, I think it's an individual player thing. Like, yeah. the team thing helps, but the important thing is the guy lining up opposite him. Like, does that guy know what he's dealing with or not? Because if he doesn't, he's going to get wrecked on that play. The Browns, you know, last year, the, what was the narrative for each team coming out of last season? The, the Bengals upstart team go to the Super Bowl. Future's bright. Joe Burrow's playing like one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Whereas the Browns, uh, Baker Mayfield ends his time. He's playing injured the whole time and all that. You know, the, the good roster that needs to figure out the quarterback situation. Well, last year, the Browns swept the Bengals for whatever it's worth. In their head-to-head matchups, the Browns beat the Bengals 41-16 to back in week nine, right around this time last year, 41 to 16, pick six in there for Burrow. I mean, just a dominant effort by the Browns. And then they won week 18 as the Bengals were playing their backup. So that doesn't necessarily count, but the matchup looked good for Cleveland last year. You know, they just seemed to, to match up well. Does that matter at all this year? Because we talked about the Niners and the Rams and for whatever reason, that division matchup is one-sided. Do the Browns uh, match up well with the Bengals here? In some ways, I think they probably do. The Cincinnati defense, I think, is better now than it was in the past. Um, That's actually one thing that's sort of an under-talked-about element of this Bengals team, I think. We always focus on, hey, if you can just protect Joe Burrow, the Burrow, Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd thing, that whole dynamic, that axis still functions and dominates. But their defense is actually really good at the moment Um, and, and will get better down the line when they get Logan Wilson back, um, DJ Reader isn't back yet. When he comes back, he's their best graded player so far based off the games he played before he got hurt. So this is a good defense. It could get even better. I think they're better equipped to deal with the Cleveland offense. Um, I also think the Cleveland offense probably isn't as potent as it was with the threat of Baker Mayfield, even if Baker wasn't playing particularly well. It's a different dynamic of things you have to take away when Jacoby Brissett is the quarterback. But the other element is, like, Cleveland's defense isn't that good. And if you can stop Miles Garrett ruining the day, you have a pretty good shot because there's nobody else really. Jonah Williams against Miles Garrett is a mismatch on paper in favor of the Browns, but it hasn't actually had an effect yet. Yeah. Don't, like, the last two times they played, it's been two total pressures each. If they come out of that, that's a pretty good result for Cincinnati. Yeah, you're right about the Browns' defense, man. It's just been a huge disappointment. And in um, in disappointing areas, right, it reminds me a little bit of Washington last year. You know, Washington had these, I thought, some shrewd moves defensively that could have paid off adding players like William Jackson. I think the equivalent there this year for the Browns is Denzel Ward, who's uh, he's banged up, but he's just been just a huge disappointment. John Johnson as a free agent signing, where, you know, into year two of that, Signing and that's not looking very good for a guy that was extremely consistent for the Rams in three out of four full seasons. The linebackers have been hit or miss in Cleveland. JOK, you know, he'll have some great games. Other times he's he's out of position. And the defensive line has been just a mess for the Browns. They have been wrecked and run all over outside of you mentioned Miles Garrett and then, you know, Jadavian Clowney. But when 
when Clowney and, Gar- and or Garrett have been out of the lineup, it's that much worse because the backups, the depth, everybody on that defensive line for the Browns has really struggled besides the top two players. So, yeah, it's not great in Cleveland right now. Feels good for a Cincinnati win. It's only three points in Cleveland. What's keeping that spread so close with teams that feel like they're going in opposite directions? Yeah, I mean, I think they are, but the Miles Garrett thing is real, even if if it hasn't been a factor the last couple of times. Um, I also think their run game is legit. Like, okay, I've talked up Cincinnati's defense, but not many defenses are able to completely bottle up that Cleveland run game. It's, It's very potent. It's very good. So I think they will be able to keep it close and for just enough to cover for me. I think it's a field goal game maybe, you know, they keep it. You got Cleveland? You're taking to cover, Cleveland. not to win. Oh, man, I would take Cincinnati for sure. Um, the one thing that's holding it back is if you buy into the Bengals' last year trend of as soon as you start believing, <laughs> right? Last year happened, right? This was in back-to-back weeks last year. At this time last year, after week seven, the Bengals were the number one seed in the AFC. They, were, they would have been the number one seed. And it was like, wow, this is crazy. You know, the Bengals are breaking out this year. Then they lost to Mike White's Jets, and then they got wrecked by the Browns. And it was like, all right, same old Bengals. But good for them. Like, for all the, all the heat that Zach Taylor sometimes takes around town here, he's gotten them back on track. He's had them inconsistent at times, but he has gotten them back on track. He didn't let the, the thing get derailed. But will he, like, do they still have these ebbs and flows? That's, like, the one thing that might be keeping the spread tighter. But I think Jacoby Brissett's coming back down to earth. I love the Bengals in this, which means I have to take Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Do I get, like, one where I just go with my... No. No, I, I can do whatever I want, no, to be honest. Go They're my picks. No. But I'm taking Cleveland because I believe the... Um, the opposite, yeah. Because I believe the Bengals win and cover here. PFF NFL podcast is brought to you by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Arizona Cardinals at the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings favored by three and a half here against Arizona Cardinals uh they turn it around a little bit now up to uh, three and four yeah it's weird they it doesn't it still feels like everything's bad for the Cardinals and yet they just came out of that game you know 40 points okay a bunch of turnovers will help um and a win you know the most important part of that but the most the the most important thing to come out of that game to me is New Hopkins was back Obviously, he showed that he'll be immediately their number one receiver again, the guy getting all the targets, but they moved him around. The thing that the Cardinals have never done, move their receivers. You know, they line up, their receivers are in the same place every single time, and that's how they play. That's this offense. Nuke came back and was immediately moving around, spending time in the slot in in a way that has never happened before for this Cardinals team. Now... Do they do that again, or was that a one-time game plan-oriented kind of thing? Because Hopkins spending that kind of time in the slot, I think, is huge for this offense. It's such an easy win, cheat code. 40% of his time, like the previous two years in Arizona, it's been 10 to 15% of the time. Um, if he does, like the the Vikings don't have anyone that can match up with that. Shannon Sullivan against New Hopkins in the slot? Forget about it. Like, that's a Cardinals win all game long. The offense just felt so much better, didn't it? 
I mean, it wasn't just dink and dunk. Not that Hopkins was stretching the field or anything like that. It just, you know, Kyler Murray looked more comfortable. Like, everything was just was just that much better, wasn't it? Yeah. With Nuke. So, so what do you make? Is this last year's Cardinals team, which they started 8-0, they tapered off a little bit. But at the end of the day, you're like, hey, this is a playoff caliber team, right? It's a playoff caliber Arizona team. They're, my concern is their defense has been hit or miss. You know, like the two pick sixes – like you earn those, right? One was a, one was a legitimate gift. Mm-hmm. One was earned. You know, it's pressure that forces the bad throw. But they did get smoked. Other than that, right? <laughs> uh, you know, to take out two plays, which were big plays for the defense. Yeah, they got smoked, and that's it's a weird defense where they're they're creating pressure at a pretty high rate, like a quick rate, you know, high rate. But I don't trust their back seven whatsoever no in Arizona. and they're going up against justin jefferson so yeah there's there's reasons to be concerned for both defenses i think there was a shootout the uh these teams last year and um feeling something like that again this year yeah i'd be surprised if there was a tremendous amount of defense in this game yeah um minnesota i feel like the vikings fans are getting upset because they're 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 probably like a they're a better version of the Giants, right? Like all their numbers are better, you know, all their advanced metrics, the stuff that you would build upon. But while the Giants' advanced metrics are probably bottom half of the league, Vikings are middle of the pack, yet they're sitting here with, you know, one of the best records in the NFL. Yeah, and I think there's also a there, – there's – one of the reasons to disrespect or not trust the Giants is the areas that they're really bad in are problematic areas for winning usually, right? Their quarterback is playing better, but he's not great. Their offensive line outside of Andrew Thomas is pretty miserable. Um, they're really well coached, but they have some major problems. You look at the Vikings, the Giants also don't have any receivers. Like, you look at the Vikings, Justin Jefferson is one of the best receivers in the NFL. Kirk Cousins, whatever you think about him and his ceiling, has shown that he can be a top, you know, tier and a half type of quarterback, which is an area Daniel Jones has never touched yet. Um, and their offensive line is much better than it's been in the past. So there's a baseline of confidence that exists for the Vikings that the, the Giants haven't really earned yet. And even though they might both be well-coached teams, the Giants probably excelling more in that area. Like, I think that those, the talent in those key areas gives Minnesota a much higher baseline and degree of confidence from, for example, the Vegas point line. And Minnesota's just been solid across the board, right? Isn't that the descriptor? They've been pretty good against the run, okay in coverage. They can win games through the air. They can win games uh, with their rushing attack if needed. I mean, at least not win games, but you know, be effective. They can be effective in all areas, I believe. Um, it's almost like from a roster standpoint, you talked about how uh, Kwesi was making a whole lot of high-volume type of moves, right? Low-end free agents and high volume draft picks and all that stuff but I think that's part of the strategy I mean it, it, he came from Quasi came from Cleveland where we've complimented Cleveland's roster these last couple of years even if it's falling apart right now just because they didn't have a ton of glaring holes and I feel like that's where Minnesota's getting to not a whole lot of flashy players but um, just solid across the board including the offensive line right yeah. the offensive line playing the best they've played in years there Top two graded players on the defense, Darius Smith, Danell Hunter, a couple pass rushers there. So Vikings, they're looking good. They're solid across the board, but it's a different Arizona team, man. And I think I would take Arizona here 
as three and a half point underdogs. Same. Meaning I have to take Minnesota. True. I'm going to give the Cardinals one shot at proving that they can be a different team. And this is it. Minnesota to cover three and a half at home? Yeah. I mean, that just sounds silly, right? Yeah. Because it's still the Vikings. They still have, have a knack for playing up, playing there down. There was a stat on the broadcast somewhere last week. I think there was just like number of one possession or number of, yeah, one position or one possession margins of victory, you know, one possession gains essentially over the last, I can't remember what the time period was, but it was the Vikings number one by like a mile. Nobody else is in the same ballpark. Not even uh, Seattle? I, it was Minnesota by a large amount and then the next team. But I, I don't remember what the time period was that we were looking at. Interesting. All right. Which so tallies. It explains how you go like two wins, two losses, two no, wins. No, I know. Losses. I get it. They they play up or down to their competition. All right. Pittsburgh Steelers at the Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles by 10.5 here in the Battle of Pennsylvania. What are you looking for in this one, Sam? Um, yeah, this feels tough for the Steelers and Kenny Pickett in particular. Like, Pittsburgh's wide receivers going up against those Eagles cornerbacks is the most fascinating thing in this game because the the talent that Pittsburgh has at receiver is really good. You know, you've got Deontay Johnson who can make spectacular catches, who's a great route runner, who's a really good receiver right up until he drops an occasional pass. You've got George Pickens, who's spectacular at the catch point, has amazing body control, is a really good receiver. But you're going up against two corners that right now are like the, the top five in the NFL period the top five in the nfl of you know passer rating allowed when when people target their coverage and you're sort of expecting a young rookie quarterback to deal with that like he might have to just go yolo a bit in this game and say there's gonna be some questionable passes but the only way we have any shot in this game is to give these guys a chance of making a play and i have to just put it in the air do you think that conversation ever happens in an nfl building son it's yolo week i mean really like if you you know coaches aren't sitting there looking at point spreads probably right they're not sitting there saying hey we're 10 point underdogs sure um i wonder if that would be smart though as a team like you know sometimes you see that like hey we're underdogs we feel it we know it we're going to play differently um but there's no way that's the conversation like the conversation is probably the opposite oh the eagles are so good they're fundamentally sound got to take care of the ball and you know that the Steelers are having that conversation with Kenny Pickett this week anyway because it was two game-winning drive interceptions that ended the game, essentially, against against the Dolphins, right? Game-ending interceptions end the game. Hmm. Um, forced one to Javon Holland and throws one to Noah Igbenogany in the end zone. So that's the conversation in Pittsburgh this week. It's not, hey, kid, you know, get more aggressive after those two fourth-quarter interceptions last week. It's like, listen, kid... If you want to play in the NFL, you got to take care of the football. You know, have you seen the stat? The team that wins the turnover rate wins 80% of their games. Have you, have you seen that? You know, that's how coaches think. Um, where I do wonder, even coming off of that disastrous outing, we've been saying this about the Steelers for a while, if you have these receivers, if you have these good playmakers, you have to be aggressive. You have to find a way to flip the field with these guys. There but must Pittsburgh's be, offense has just been horrible this season. I think there must be times where coaches have that conversation and say, you know, you're going to have to take some chances. Like, I think most of the time it's probably dressed up as you just have to understand this is open, throw, throw it, you know? Yeah. But I think there are times where they're going to have that conversation and say, you need to be more aggressive. You're not giving your receivers enough chances to make plays. You're not, you know, blah, blah. The, the best 
example of that actually being articulated I've seen was when Ryan Fitzpatrick on the sideline was coaching up Tua two years ago, last year, whenever it was, when they were getting murdered. Yeah. You know, the offensive line was absolute garbage, and Tua's trying to do the, <laughs> the kind of by-the-numbers quarterback thing of, you know, drop back, go through the progression, get sacked. And Fitzpatrick is like, you know, sometimes you're not going to have time to go one to two to three. You're going to have to go one YOLO. <laughs> like, it's just nothing to it. Like, you're just going to have to take a chance. And that, I think, is A, perfectly explains how Ryan Fitzpatrick played football. But B, is, I think it's true. Like, the, there's, there are those games or the, those situations where your best, your best chance of making anything good out of this is to just put the ball in the air and hope that your guys are better than theirs at the catch point. Yeah, I, that would, I mean, do you do that against the Eagles too with these corners? Well, that's what imagine? I'm saying. Like, yeah. it's the – because – What's the alternative, right? Are you going to be able to hang with Philadelphia trying to play hyper-conservative, shut-up type of offense? No, right? You're going to have to actually take a shot, and your best players are the ones that are going up against their, like, buzzsaw of a secondary right now. Yeah. Uh, Eagles' lowest EPA per play allowed on 10-plus yard throws. So that's kind of like you're you're saying, hey, challenge that, right? And, And again, I would just want to reiterate for the 900th time here this season, the complete opposite of how the Eagles played defense last year. Same scheme, same system. Darius Slay was there last year as well. But you add James Bradbury, better pass rush. You know, comparable, but probably more consistent pass rush this year. And all of a sudden, they're they're just cracking down a little bit better, a lot better in the second yes. in the secondary than they were last year. They weren't create they weren't giving up big plays, but they were giving up, up everything. They're underneath. running more things. Like yes. they're they're schematically improved. And, and for all the. You know, Eagles traded for Robert Quinn. We talked about that in today's PFF NFL Daily. For all the personnel moves that they've made in Philadelphia, perhaps Nick Sirianni's st- as a head coach and his staff deserve the most credit for continuing to evolve their their schemes, right, on both sides. The fact that last year at this time they went to more of a run-first attack with Jalen Hurts, that they've made their defense better this year. Um, maybe we shouldn't have. Maybe everyone shouldn't have made fun of Sirianni because he had a bad first press conference. Mm. And, and written him off and that he is a pretty good coach it's a really bad press conference it was but it's just like does it matter no. does your first press conference matter probably not anyway we're not going down that rabbit hole i think philadelphia crushes them sometimes people just struggle talking in front of a crowd you know gotta get by it you can be nervous it's okay to be nervous i get nervous every time i throw up in the corner every time before every show here yeah that's what that smell is you didn't know that no yeah get nervous in front of the people here live on youtube I love Philadelphia in this game. Give me the Steelers. It never gets old, right? That's got to be the play. I just think I, they are, it's happened already this season, but I'm not betting into Mike Tomlin getting more than 10 points in a game. My, um, for, for my bet to come through here, for Pittsburgh to come through, their linebackers, Devin Bush, Miles Jack, have played better in recent weeks. They've been uh, a bit of a roller coaster ride. They get challenged heavy in this type of game, right? The great offensive line, the misdirection, the play action. If those two guys can make some plays, I'll cover. Hmm. That's what I'm banking on here. Okay. Chicago Bears at the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys favored by nine and a half. Zeke is out for the Cowboys. With a torn MCL, right? Like that play where it looked like his knee bent backwards and hyperextended and he was wrecked. Just did, in out. fact, wreck him. He just probably went out back for a while. Out anyway. Right? He's got to yeah. be out for a while. But like here. he just went back into the game without an MCL and went, well, all right. Yeah. It's tough, man. He was running harder, man. He was running pretty well these last couple weeks. But um, you got Dak coming back. He, you know, we mentioned last week, no interceptions, but forced the ball a couple passes into coverage. 
I think it's setting up for another good game for him. I want to see if Chicago keeps with their rushing attack, though. We talked a little bit yeah. about that on last uh, yesterday's show and what they did such offensively. A, like, such a rough defense to try and get that. Like, let's let's try and build a little momentum now with this Justin Fields game plan and this design run game. Of, and, oh, but is it better? I mean, Dallas still... You'd rather run against them than pass. Yeah, no, I think it is actually a decent game plan to try and stop the Dallas pass rush, is to run at them. And remember, we talked a couple of weeks ago about how you can just option those guys, you know, instead of trying to block a yeah. Micah Parsons one-on-one in the edge, make him the option guy. Steal now, a little bit of what the Eagles did. Right, now Micah Parsons is freaky athletic enough that he can might be able to play both sides of the option, but these are the things you have to deal with. But, yeah, it might actually be the best game plan for them to try and attack that but on the other hand you're like god it's just it would be really nice if we weren't playing dallas this but week. dallas has the fifth worst run defense grade this year and that has been a common theme they have been weak on the interior uh, defensive interior they have been weak in the run game for what feels like the better part of 10 years right i mean it's just it, that has been a weakness in dallas now it doesn't it's it's challenging as a run first team to drop this blueprint like we want to run 40 times and drop back like 15 times like if if the bears could do that i think they would but it could be effective they might be able to average five yards a pop with fields uh keepers the way khalil herbert's been running and the way that offensive line and the tight ends were run blocking the other night in new england if they can keep that up bears have a good matchup here i think against dallas i would say just traded for jonathan hankins to try and shore up the run game big body yeah, just throw a big body in there who's been... Guy who hasn't played well against the run for about four years. But, but he's comparable to what they have. <laughs> but back back in the day, 340 pounds was playing the run pretty well. Right. You know, and now 340 pounds is not playing the run that well. well but at least it's 340. If uh, Chicago does have to drop back, say, 30, 35 times, uh, Fields might get sacked eight to 10 times. Yeah. That's my, that's my feeling. So this one, it's, to me, it's going to go one of two ways, which I know, of huh. course it will. One of two ways. Either Chicago, the Bears are going to win or the, yeah. the, or the, the Cowboys, Cowboys will win. win. That's my feeling. Yeah. Good tie. No, but either either the, the Bears' run game keeps them in this, and it's a, it's a close game, and it's like, hey, look at those feisty Bears keeping it close against Dallas. Or I think Dallas runs away with it. Yeah, I'm betting on the latter. Can you imagine, though? So if Chicago wins this game somehow, like if this the run game ends up being successful anyway, if the addition of Justin Fields – to the design part of the run game makes even more or makes it even more potent and they somehow knock off Dallas. All of a sudden, the Bears would be 500 with a new game plan that just saw them beat the Patriots and the Cowboys in back-to-back weeks on the road. Can you imagine what the narrative is? Like, we are going to have gone from the Bears suck, they're miserable, they're the worst team in the NFL, to everything's great in Chicago, Ryan Poles for executive of the year. Like in two weeks, this thing is going to go from zero to 100. And the Packers are going to play Sunday night football as underdogs against the Bills. And the Bear, if the Bears win and the Packers lose, the Bears are in second behind the Vikings. Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's an interesting narrative that you've just... Uh, I just It would be a wild turnaround in two weeks to go from the, it, the pit of misery after the Washington game to... It might be comparable to the Eagles from last year where we said they're either rebuilding or Jalen Hurts is going to be just good enough to make them a 500-ish team that makes the playoffs. It ended up being the latter, right? They were just over But I think that was always in the cards. Like, this this ending up as that would be a surprise. Yeah, it's a surprise. Because they be... were rebuilding. Yeah. Yeah, it would be interesting. Right down to trading away Robert Quinn, like now. You know what I mean? Like, they're still rebuilding. This is not a team that expected to be 
in any kind of contention. So for them to all of a sudden wind up 500 with an offensive game plan that actually seems to be working randomly and knocking off two half-decent teams along the way, it would just be like that would be a wild turnaround in two weeks. All right. So uh, because I think Dallas should run away with it, I'm taking the Bears. Yeah. To cover the nine and a half in Dallas. I'm taking Dallas because I don't have to do what you're doing. You don't. Las Vegas Raiders at the New Orleans Saints. Raiders favored by one and a half here. Andy Dalton officially getting the start for the Saints. They, uh, is uh, the Dennis Red Allen's. Rifle's job now? It's, it's the Red Rifle's job. Andy Dalton. Have you seen the well, consistency Carson, of his grading? Yeah, because is Carson, just... Wentz is, Carson Wentz is hurt, and Cooper Rush is back on the bench. Right. So they, And as soon as that happened, Andy Dalton has been declared the starter. Four straight PFF grades in the 70s. It is just powerfully above average play from Andy Dalton right now. Like, this is his zone. This is where he lives. Yeah. I am going to give you rock solid above average play every single week. You can count on it. And the Thursday night game, everybody was joking about Andy Dalton throwing the ball to the defense. And um, as I mentioned earlier in the show, first pick six, pure drop, Mm -hmm. not on him. Second one, (laughs) it's iffier, right? There's pressure, but the pressure that was blindside pressure nail you know hit hits Andy Dalton and the ball goes right to Isaiah Simmons defensively there could be an argument hey feel the pressure spin out of it step up whatever but it wasn't like he just threw the ball straight to the defense it, like he did earlier he did that in the red zone he did have one bad interception but the two pick sixes I don't think were really on Andy Dalton and other than those two plays the Saints offense was really really good mm. big plays explosive Kevin White had a 64 yarder um the Saints are confusing because they've always had these playmakers this year outside of some injuries here and there, but they've had potential to be this explosive offense, but it's just been hit or miss throughout the season. That was probably their best all-around offensive game, maybe that in the Falcons earlier in the year. And um, the, the Saints But then their defense sudden, is starting to fall apart as well. The Saints all of a sudden have the kind of receiving talent that Andy Dalton had way back in 2015 where he had his best season. Oh, the Bengals. boy. Now, we then said that when he got a few games for Dallas and was we terrible. didn't see that yeah yeah so it's not like it's a one-to-one thing but I in this year of all years where the narrative of this season across the board is how tight the relationship is between supporting casts and quarterback play Dalton all of a sudden has a pretty good supporting cast at least in terms of receivers that offensive line has been collapsing but that group of guys he has to throw to is as good as he's had yeah and on the other side Raiders seem to be finding their identity. Josh Jacobs running like a madman these last couple weeks. Takes a little bit of pressure off the pass game. Derek Carr. Derek Carr's playing a cleaner brand of football than he did earlier in the in the season. And all of a sudden, you know, they look better offensively. And they look like, on paper, this offseason, we said, hey, if you have Devontae Adams and Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro and all that stuff, you should be able to create some offense. Uh, Waller's been hurt, hasn't been there. We've seen Mac Hollins emerge, but you're getting the effectiveness from Josh Jacobs in that run game, and it's a, that's a tough offense, man. Yeah. So, I kind of like this. This is going to be one of the games of the week. You get the crazy stuff that happens in the Dome, and I think this one gets into shootout territory as well. I would probably lean Raiders to cover this, so i got to take the Saints as home dogs here. <laughs> uh, you love this every time as I'm... Yeah talking out who i like and why and i just I, think the raiders are finding their groove man 
think there's a chance they are as well. They they appear to be working things out. Their offensive line is quietly on the move as well in terms of getting better. They had one of the worst offensive lines in the league earlier in the season. They were rotating through bodies. They were shuffling every week trying to figure out what the combination is supposed to be. All of a sudden, they're kind of in a groove and... They're still not great, but they're definitely creeping back toward average. And all of a sudden, that's giving Josh Jacobs a platform to be one of the best running backs in the NFL, one of the most productive guys. It's giving the pass game a platform to work from. I do think that the Raiders are kind of getting on track in recent weeks. So I'm going with the Raiders. Why can't – we've talked about receivers that, like, come out of nowhere and you just give them a whole bunch of opportunities and all of a sudden they produce. Mm-hmm. Like, why hasn't Kevin White been able to at least do that? I don't know. Well, he's, a, he's averaging because... 64 yards per reception this year. That's so. pretty good. Yeah. Why hasn't Kevin White, like, why can't he go on a Travis Fulgham run? Why can't he go on a run of four weeks where it's like, there's the first round talent? Like, even Brashad Perryman, even Brashad Perryman as a failed first rounder, yeah. had like a half a season with Jameis in the Bucks where it was like, whoa, look at this guy. Uh huh. Well, okay. Kevin White has 27 career catches. <laughs> yeah. Two quick points. Number one, it's 132, and you want to be out of here early. Number two. Good point. Um, it, th- like, those things aren't, they don't happen deliberately. They happen because seven guys in front of you on the depth chart gets hurt, and all of a sudden you have to throw the ball to Travis Fulgham 50 times in the next four weeks. You know what I mean? Like, th- that's the only way that kind of thing happens. Feed Kevin White. Yeah, so Kevin White Feed simply him. hasn't been on a team where he's become the only option left standing for a while, and they've just had no option but to force-feed him the ball. I say feed Kevin White no matter what. Okay. Just make it happen. Also, feed yourself the PFF app. What's that? (laughs) Go check out the PFF app. We got bets on all these games. What's the best bet this week? Did you check it out yet? Uh, We already got the news up there. Titans, apparently. Tony to the Chiefs. Titans are the best Titans are an A bet to cover the Packers or B with their 11 and a half point uh, underdog status. We seem to like the Bucks tonight. We seem to always like the Bucks. Yeah. I wonder how much residual effect that is last year's. Yeah. Because like the roster still should be good. We and a bunch of other people seem to like the Panthers and I want no freaking part of that. They're up next. Panthers at the Falcons. Falcons favored by four and a half. I mean, what do you make of the Panthers? They were they were probably the worst team in the NFL yeah. through seven through six weeks. They beat the Bucks last week, and they did it by looking good, right? They looked good defensively, and P.J. Walker had one of the best games of the season. We broke down his grade <laughs> yesterday on the Walker show. Walker had the best game of his life. He was incredible. At any level. He was incredible. Look, I- he had shown flashes at times in the NFL. Hey, P.J. could play. But then the rest of his career has been not good. Man's at Temple, the XFL, and the NFL, and preseason. That's the best P.J. Walker has ever played. Can he keep that going? Six no. big-time throws on 23 dropbacks, whatever God, it was. no. God, no, he can't. Now, look, it's a hell of a lot of – it's a much better defense to, to do it against this week. Like, it's, a, it's an easier task than it, should, than it was last week. So, okay, let's see. Um, the bigger thing is that, like, the Panthers – have a pretty good bend but don't break type of defense they're really good against the run they're number one in the league against the run in yards per attempt and this falcons offense has been like refusing to put the ball in the air over the last few weeks so yeah can carolina a stop the run in the way atlanta runs the ball b force them to the air and if they can can atlanta actually still win that way anyway because as much as they haven't wanted to do it 
Like, they have Drake London, they have Kyle Pitts, they have freaky giant receivers that you can't match up well with. So they might actually be fine even if they're forced to the air. All right, we talked about Bears scenarios and all that stuff. Here's your scenario. If the Bucks lose here tonight on Thursday Night Football against the Ravens, the winner of this game's in first place mm. in the NFC South. The uh, Panthers, if they win, they move to three and five, would hold the tiebreaker over both the Bucks and the Falcons for first place. The Falcons, if they win, they would move to four and four and would be the only team in the division at 500 or better if the Bucks lose tonight against the Ravens or if the Bucks already lost if you're listening to this on Friday or <laughs> leading into the weekend so just throwing that out there but yeah the Falcons even in games where they're losing like crazy they're just like we're not dropping back more than 20 times we just won't do it uh-huh. you know 15 is our number um PJ's. which I respect like I respect teams doing things differently yeah uh, but at some point you know you might have to trust Mariota to throw a little bit more PJ actually has quite a lot so he's got a reasonable amount of bad play on his resume but his his starts he's streaky his starts have all been okay yeah i tried to remind you of that now we're talking three starts but the three starts each one of them just a gamer oh no sorry we got four we had a start i forgot uh week six week six he was disastrous okay three of his four starts in the nfl have been above average or better yeah that's that's all I got. That's it's pretty good. That's good the most complimentary thing I can say about PJ outside of last week was spectacular. Well, good for him. Is he gonna? I think that means I would take. I mean, I was still gonna not believe in him and go with Atlanta. Yeah. But that's gonna make me take Carolina, and I don't know. I kind of believe in PJ now after hearing that. After hearing the three of his. Four yeah, but I'm not gonna change good. my pick. Oh, Dad, stop calling me by mistake. I'm Please. going with Atlanta. Yeah, I'll take Carolina. Four and a half. To Carolina to cover the four and a half. Uh, three and a half point spread is Miami favored by that three and a half at Detroit this week. Miami coming off the 16 to 10 Sunday night football victory against Pittsburgh. Detroit uh, lost five straight now at this mm. point. And a lot, you know, the preseason buzz, the roar, feeling is good for the, the roar has not been restored. Not restored yet. It's never, certainly not yet. It's never too late. Um, I wonder, though, if we're in line for a big Aiden Hutchinson day. Yeah. Uh, Miami has weaknesses, certainly at right tackle. Um, The Lions, I think, have figured out what Aiden Hutchinson is, which is the exact opposite of Aaron Campman. Remember Aaron Campman? Green Bay Packers. Sure, our listeners are going to really, you know, relate to this one, but go ahead. I mean, look, this is a lot closer to contemporary than your 90s Jags references. Everybody knows who Mark Brunel is. Yeah, they don't know about some of the other Jags you've been referencing down the years. Tony Brackens? Right. This reminds me of Tony Brackens back anyway, in 99. Aaron Campman, defensive end for Sorry, the Sorry, I didn't mean to be so mean to you. Really high-end defensive end, just as long as he had his hand in the ground. Randomly, the Packers decided to shift defensive schemes. He, they made him into an outside linebacker, and they said, right, you're in a two-point stance from now on. Aaron Campman was a guy who needed his hand in the dirt to be able to coil before the snap to explode off the line. Otherwise, he had zero burst whatsoever. So Catman as a two-point stance outside linebacker was just terrible. But as soon as you let him put his hand in the dirt again, he was great. I think Hutchinson is actually the exact opposite, which is he's really good in a two-point stance. From a three-point stance, he's not as effective for some reason. Mike Renner tweeted out the, the splits from college and the NFL when he's in a two versus a three-point stance, and they're pretty clear. And last week, the Lions put him in, they let him stand up the whole game for the first time. And he was 
coincidentally, this is the best game he's had in the NFL. So you add that to the fact that Miami's right tackle isn't good, I think we're going to get good Aiden Hutchinson today, this week. Will that matter? <laughs> because yeah, hey, at least it's to his blind side. Um, will it matter with Tua, his quick release, and the Lions have the lowest coverage grade in the NFL? Um, Am I going to bring that up? Sorry. I'm just saying, like the – and again, the Dolphins – like, figure out the Dolphins for me. Like, you're watching that game on Sunday Night Football. It didn't feel like the Dolphins were dominating. And then they'd settle for field goals and settle for field goals. And before you know it, it's like, it's the fourth quarter, and they only scored 16 points. And the Dolphins, as a team, I know they've had injuries, haven't scored more than 21 since week two. In fact, they have only scored more than 21 once the entire season, and that was the Ravens game where Tua went off in the second half, scored, they had the six touchdowns total. But you look at the efficiency metrics, and it's like Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, uncoverable, right? I, I, what do you make of this Dolphins offense? What the heck are they? Against the Steelers, I kept being reminded of Green Bay. You know, Green Bay has those games yeah. where they march down the field in the first drive, and they look incredible, and then it just stops working. Yeah. Like, what the hell? What changed? Why did we go from, oh, we're going to roll and put up 40 today, to where did the offense go and why are we struggling to win this game 21-19, you know? There was the same thing with the first drive. That Miami offense looked unstoppable. They got wide-open guys over the middle all day, and they're like, oh, the Steelers have nothing for this. And then Tua was occasionally pitching the ball to the defense. Like, they just could they just stopped working. And you're like, why is this game close? Why does Kenny Pickett have multiple opportunities to lead a game-winning drive here? This game should be done and it wasn't. I, I don't know why that was happening. Yeah, I mean, that's honestly been Miami's season, though, right? I mean, they, they're flashy and explosive. It felt like the middle of the field was this ocean of open receivers, and um, Tua was hitting them, and he's, he's been very effective to the middle of the field. I think they'll find some success against Detroit, but Detroit probably keeps it close enough. Um, the other one maybe storyline anytime Jared Goff goes up against anybody somewhat associated to Bill Belichick <laughs> or Brian Flores I'm like oh they're gonna zero blitz him and just you know attack his weakness uh-huh. he's like oh no where's the sunset zero blitz what do I do right this is quite a this is how many points of uh yeah, Boyer was under Flores right. and Flo- but but Flores they 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 Use this game plan, was it two years ago against the Rams? So, like, how far down the coaching tree does that extend? <laughs> it's kind of like anybody I mean, that's had a cup of coffee with a big right. bay. How many branches down the tree can we go Every before this Every defensive is so coordinator can zero blitz Jared Goff and attack him. So, uh, Miami's going to – look, I think they'll be effective offensively. I think they'll blitz Goff, mm-hmm. create some issues, and I'm taking Detroit to cover three and a half. All right. I'm gonna take I'll talk hand. myself into that one. Detroit's going to – look like they did earlier in the year and be that competitive team kneecap biting kneecap biting they're coming back i'm going to take my covering the three and a half all right let's go to london okay <laughs> just thinking of the high knees in the in the aisle yeah uh, and he said that too the high knees thing yeah yeah oh he did he also tries to uh broncos at the jaguars in london yeah. jags jags by two and a half here yeah uh-huh What's the uh, tell the other part of the story? That apparently the thing I sent you today is fake. It's not a real thing, but that's how crazy. That's he fake. Is. Yeah, okay. that's how crazy Russell Wilson is. That there's nothing now that isn't believable. That's what's bad, right? Yeah, like he could say anything, and it would be yeah, okay, I, I can buy that. Yeah, that sounded fake because it was like sleep is wasted time. 
like I said, sleep's not wasted time. No, no. It's part of your job. Sure. Rest. So, you know, not doing high knees down the, the aisle of the, the aircraft. Now, Russ said that himself, right? Yeah. Well, like the explanation was worse than the report. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I was like, let's get some context here. And I'm just reading now. Yeah, this it's is worse. Bad. Worse context. Bad. Bad uh, context. Meme guy was calling us out because we spent 15 minutes making fun of Russ yesterday. Let's not do that. <laughs> it deserved it. Jaguars by two and a half here against Denver. Uh, do we know where do, is Russ even going to play? It sounds like he is. He's made it through a couple of practices. He did the high knees on the plane. Like he's been getting the work in. I can't see why he wouldn't be playing. Limited participant on Thursday. I wonder if he was tired from the. I mean, forget jet lag. He had seven hours of workouts hmm. on the plane. Well, no, it was, no, it was four hours four, of workouts, yeah. three hours of film study. Right. And the workout was only like high knees. It's not like he was, you know, lifting chairs. It was just, you know, dynamic warm-up. That's right. all it is. Exactly, for four um, hours. I think initial, my initial instinct is like, man, Trevor Lawrence in this offense against this awesome Denver defense. Yeah. If, if Denver had one of not the worst or second-worst offense in the NFL well, the this thing. year, we'd be talking about Denver's defense this season. Jack- Jacksonville are two-and-a-half-point favorites. It's not like it's home-home, you know? It's London, right? Denver's pass rush should destroy the Jacksonville pass protection, which has been okay this year. But Denver has one of the best pass rushes of the league. Uh, Denver's coverage wins against a bunch of receivers for Jacksonville that aren't very good. Basically, this comes down to the other side of the ball, which is Russell Wilson and his high knees and the crap surrounding him. Like, can that function? Because if it can, Denver should win this game. Yeah, I agree. So I have to take the Jacks. I got to take the Jags in this one. I mean, on the other side, Denver's offense has been terrible. Uh, Jaguars defense. I, I called them. This is where we need to like, I need to like remember timestamps. We could play this. I called them much, much must see a couple weeks ago. Okay. Um, <clears throat> before the Eagles game. And I don't think they were pretty bad against Indianapolis. They're, they've only given up 20 points or more once this season yeah that's so like in any given they've become the jags have become this defense where in any given week it's like a a reminder of all these athletes that they brought in the last few years and good players and the the josh allens and devin lloyds and tyson campbells of the world and andre cisco and they start making some plays um so i think the jags defense has been solid as well they're less consistent than say denver's been this year yeah denver's was the defense i was talking about they weren't giving up oh sorry yeah yeah I'm saying, but Jacksonville, if you look at them too, they have a shutout. So they've been inconsistent, but they've shown flashes, right? They have yeah. a shutout in there, gave up 10 to the Chargers, 13, uh, 13 to the Texans, 23 to the Giants last week. Sorry, but yeah, Denver's been sensational. Yeah. Um, but the Jags are fun defensively. <laughs> they're fun, and they're on their way. So I think it's another low-scoring game. The one thing I did actually really want to do last week was hammer the under in that Jens-Broncos game. What was it, 10 69 60 yeah it was 16, under 39 or 38 or whatever it was would have won that yes i would have thrown a mortgage payment on that one i mean the, the last three games for denver have been 9 to 12 16 to 19 and 16 to 9 what's the over under on this one now they've got one like there's if you toss out the raiders under game, 39 and a half we don't like it <laughs> if you toss out the Half Raiders, does game, not like it raiders game was 32 23 right outside of that game every single game both teams have been under 20 points. Wow. So we're looking at a low scoring. It's a 9 a.m. Is it a 9 a.m. game? 9.30 a.m.? Yeah, 9.30 a.m. Which is 7.30 a.m. Denver time. Mountain, Mountain time. time. 
And we hate mountain Didn't time. Did Russ works on mountain time? No, no. He stayed on Pacific? Yes. He never moved? He's in L.A. time. He's going to stay on L.A. time. Yeah. You know. Not, not Pacific. He's in L.A. LA time. time. Yes. So that's Definitely 630. mountain time, though. So that's 630 L.A. time. 630 non-mountain time. But, like, Russ is a morning guy like Kirk, right? He's, he's a Kirk time. He's a early riser, I would say. Yeah. Russ. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't stay up late. No. No, he's in bed by like 9.30 p.m. So I would definitely take Denver. So give me the Jacks. <sighs> I hate it every week, but I'm betting into Denver because that defense is so good. And sooner or later, they're going to come out on the right side. And the side. offense has to be better at they're, some point. They're going to come out on the right side of one of these short or low-scoring, miserable affairs. Yeah, watch out for that Denver pass rush. And uh, yeah, Tennessee Titans at the Houston Texans. Titans only favored by two here. Hmm. Four and two Titans, but against uh, the Texans team that, uh, you know, they, they keep things close, man. Feisty. Um, Feisty. Yeah, it's like are you, you kind of ask, are the Titans doing it again? Remember last year, the Titans didn't seem very good and then went on a run where for five weeks straight, they just kept knocking off like giant after giant in reasonably impressive fashion. You're like, okay, it's kind of it's kind of hard to argue with that at that stage, even though they still don't seem that impressive to me. They're all of a sudden, they're on a run of four straight. The only difference is this time, the teams they're beating are not quite as impressive. It's not the Bills, Chiefs, no. Rams. It isn't like the who's who of contenders. It's the, the Raiders, the Colts, the Commanders, and the Colts again. So, you know, that all of a sudden, yeah, okay, fine. It's impressive. You've gone, you've righted the ship. You've gone from 0-2 to back to a decent um, position, particularly in that division. But, you know. The Titans also lost. Didn't they lose to the Texans down the stretch last year? They were, like, going for the number. I don't know. How did the Titans end up as the number one seed? It doesn't make any sense. They lost to the t- Texans down the stretch when they were battling for the number one seed. They got smoked by the Patriots when they were battling for the number one seed. Yeah. But they had built up enough And also, wins. In, in the regular season, they lost to the Texans, as you said, and the Jets. Yeah, Back right. when the Jets, the Jets were hopeless. Right. Like, the, their, their season made no sense at so all. I think the fun game here is to look through the Titans' depth chart mm-hmm. on the defensive side in particular and say, who's going to be the surprise defensive star? Okay. Because we've had, like, Joe Schobert straight off the waiver wire. We've had uh, Danico Autry. We've had Andrew Adams last week. This feels like a Dylan Cole game. Dylan Cole revenge game. Right? Dylan Cole. Uh, this is the Roger... That's what I'm calling. Dylan Cole revenge game. No, this is the Roger McCreary breakout game. Ooh, McCreary break. He had a good game last week. Yeah. He was solid. But Dylan Cole had a good week, good week last week, too. Maybe he was already a secret star. Ryan Tannehill has been under pressure 42.4% of the time this season. Yeah. They're, just, they're one of those teams... Number. You, I, I don't like when people just speak about an offensive line in generalities. Because they literally have two different jobs, right? You have to run block, you have to pass block. And some linemen are better at one or the other. Some lines are better than one or the other. Even in this Titans run of good football the last few years, their pass blocking has been below average, like bottom five-ish. But they get protected by play action and enough misdirection, And it, but they're very good as a run blocking unit. Um, but... Again, in you know, last week they dropped back what twenty four times or whatever, so it, it gets hidden enough. But yeah, they've had issues in pass protection. Still running the ball effectively though. 
They are. Um, but yeah, you look at that group and it's it's kind of worrying. Dennis Daly, Brewer, Ben Jones, who's dealing with an injury when he was playing last week. Um, Nicholas Petit-Frere, Nate Davis. Like This is not the group that you expect to excel in any given week. Tannehill's under pressure, over 40%. You know, the, the second year, the second this first number starts with a four, it's worrying. If you're under pressure, upwards of 40%, that's a concern. Yeah. And then that scale gets very quickly from concerning to absolutely catastrophic, non-workable. All happens within those numbers that begin with a four, you know? Once you're at 50, forget about it. Go home, you've already lost. But anything from 40 to 49 is the difference between this is a problem to for this is just not going to work so they're like walking that tightrope in any given week now the texans haven't had a particularly good pass rush this season despite having players that you think should be able to achieve that they really haven't been great um jerry hughes has been their best pass rusher jerry hughes hasn't been what he's used usually been but he's like 35 years old so sure mm-hmm Nobody else has really stepped up. The, t- the Texans should have a better pass rush than they have, but as long as they don't, it is a reasonably good matchup for Tennessee to not be exposed that way. Yeah, I feel all of that stuff. So I'm going to take the Texans. Um, Davis Mills still playing solid football, you know, mostly mistake-free football. Made a couple mistakes um, against the Raiders late, but um, – they're feisty. They're going to keep it tight. Uh, always interested in Derek Stingley and his development. He's certainly not making the same type of splash as other rookies like Sauce Gardner or Tariq Woolen, but I think he's got the, he's got the talent to get there. Um, so I'll be watching all that stuff for Houston. Um, Houston also, it's just it's another showcase game, right? Brandon Cooks at receiver, always in trade rumors. Shop window game. Yes. Uh, Laramie Tunsil at tackle. Like all of the Texans' good players potentially uh, could have – you know trade value so keep an eye on that i'll take houston to cover the two i'll take tennessee you sure this is all the games mm. four eight 12 15 games this week yeah is it only kansas city and the chargers that have the bye week i believe that is right washington yeah. commanders at the indianapolis colts what was supposed to be a carson wentz revenge game mm. against matt ryan and the colts no revenge today no it's now taylor heineke and sam ellinger Matt Ryan has been benched this week. Sam Ellinger taking over. Ryan, one of the worst grades in the NFL so far. We talked about Zach Wilson and how he looked under pressure and how it can be informative. Matt Ryan, it's been very informative how he's handled pressure the last few years. Informed his ass all the way to the bench. Yes. And uh, it's been a, you know, I, th- I found it interesting. I said it on the PFF NFL Daily. I found it interesting that Frank Reich said, we, didn't, we haven't held up our end of the bargain. Yeah. Their end of the bargain being it's like, true. hey, Matt, Come to Indianapolis. Look what we had last year in a run game with Jonathan Taylor. And then, yeah, the pass protection wasn't as good last year, but look what we have on our offensive line. We've got Quentin Nelson. We have Braden Smith. We have Ryan Kelly. We've got this good nucleus, and it's been one of the better offensive lines in the last few years. The line's been bad. The run game's been bad. And Matt Ryan can't carry a squad here at age 37, so they're giving Sam Ellinger a chance. No, I think it's true. I mean, it's a a good point for him to make which is this is just not the bargain that we all signed up for we thought we were going to bring this good offensive line powerful run game to the table Matt Ryan was going to be the quarterback that could steer the ship and take advantage of the receiving weapons we have and it just isn't there and as long as it isn't it's not it's not going to work you know it's not Matt Ryan's fault it's just that this isn't what any of us signed up for but because it isn't we have to make a change so 
I think it is the right move, to be honest, even if it's harsh on Matt Ryan. And hopefully, you know, it would be a shame for him if this is the way his career ended, sort of having the rug pulled out from under him and just sat down for Sam Ellinger because he's more likely to survive behind a terrible offensive line. That would suck if that's the way he goes out, but sometimes that happens. Um, but I think it is the right move, in, which is like, this is just not going to function conventionally. So let's put a guy back there that's athletic and maybe we can just create some chaos. Sam Ellinger in the preseason. It, honestly, if they're talking about Jim Arce maybe being the one that's yeah. moving, you know, pulling the strings here. How much of it is two preseason games at home, in the Dome, and Sam Ellinger just tears it up. I don't think it even matters that it's Ellinger. I think, I mean, Ursay was making noise before the first ten- Tennessee game. They lost both of them, you know? So I think at that point, Ursay is just like, look, I don't care what you do, change something. Like, yeah. anything, it can't keep going like this. You need to make a change, right? And if, if the quarterback isn't the change, then one of you is the change. So, you know, take your choice, essentially. That's how I imagine those conversations went, which is I want some fairly high-end, significant change of direction here. And if it isn't the quarterback, you two, the, the other two guys in the, in the conversation. So get together, have a little conversation, <laughs> let me know where we're going. So for those who aren't familiar with Sam Ellinger, sixth-round pick, 2021, came out of Texas in the preseason this year, for whatever it's worth. He was 24 for 29. For 289, four touchdowns, no picks, passer rating of 147.8. Also had 71 rushing yards on the ground. Um, he is a good runner. And when he went to Texas, he went to Texas where Shane Bouchel was the starting quarterback, highly touted. Bouchel should have been the starter. Ellinger took his job and became, I think, ended up be, being the, mo- the winningest quarterback in Texas history. Um, I could be making that up. But he was up there. He was up there. Um, those stats are stupid, though, because they started counting bowl games like 10 years ago. They added games to the schedule. So when you hear those stats, they don't mean anything. But Ellinger is that like... She just spent like a whole show just making up numbers. Oh, yeah. And just see just like... Completely. Somebody call me on it. Yeah, yeah. Somebody else dig up Colt McCoy's win record, at, yeah, win-loss record at Texas and tell me he had more wins. Somebody fact check me right now. Do it. I don't care. I'm going to say Ellinger. Winning this quarterback in Texas history has to be the guy. Um, but man, he's... Um, it's not always as simple as like put the mobile guy behind the bad offensive line therefore you won't take negative plays because those guys tend to get sacked a lot more anyway but uh, maybe Ellinger's going to be able to create some magic when he's under pressure and you're going to lean into the design run game and maybe open that up as well so it's intriguing for what the Colts can do here with Ellinger yeah I look I I do think it's the right decision Matt Ryan is a statue he's not going to be able to get anything done behind a bad offensive line put somebody that can move back there and you know, Ellinger is not Justin Fields. He's not Lamar Jackson. He's not even Josh Allen. He's not a guy that necessarily you want to build a run game around. But you could probably tap into that a bit, particularly he's, he's like a power runner type of player. Yeah, and he's I like think Tebow can, light. Yeah, and you can tap into that in a certain way because while he may not be a devastating athlete, you don't really care if he survives. You know. Like, the big fear about using your quarterback as a big part of the design run game years ago is, well, what if he gets hurt? Yeah. If we lose our quarterback, the whole thing's dead. Well, the whole thing's dead anyway. You invested a six-round pick in this guy. Does it really matter? You know? If he lasts a game and you have to go somewhere else, okay, fine. But on the other hand, it might be a useful thing. So I think you end up leaning into that because there's no downside to this. Uh, on the other side, 
So yeah, that, that'll be interesting, right? See how they use Ellinger. You're just saying throw him to the wolves. Who cares if you get hurt, kid? Just go take some hits. And yeah. Win win a ball game. You know he's going to have that like fired up touchdown run to take the lead in the fourth quarter or something. But you're going up against an equally fiery and competitive Taylor Heineke, who makes those key scramble plays. I mean, this is the touchdown. Moxie Ball, isn't it's it? It's the Moxie Ball. Yes, this is perfect. Moxie Ball. He got all that Moxie. Um, last week Heineke throwing the. You called it a blind prayer comeback. I called it mm-hmm. an anticipatory throw that uh, Terry McLaurin had to fight back 10 yards to get, but it sealed the deal for the commander's win over the Packers. Heineke was was bad early, throwing the ball to the defense. If he does that again, he won't get away with it, I don't think, but uh, made some plays down the stretch, and the commander's defense deserves uh, some credit for how they played against the Packers' offense. If I'm reading this table right in of uh, all-time Texas quarterbacks, not only are you not right, hmm. you're not even in the vicinity of being right. <laughs> like Colt McCoy has 40, last 45 career wins. Sam Ellinger has 27. Yeah, maybe is, it starts. Which is fewer than Bobby Lane and Vince Young in addition to Colt McCoy. Yeah, see? Neither is his win percentage very good. It's Top 628. Five. Yeah, Texas hasn't won a whole lot. Yeah. Recently. So there's just, just no. No. You know what? I see your evidence. Yeah. I want to stand by my. I'm going to stand by my take. He actually. So here you go. Here's something. You in fact, not only was he not the most winning quarterback in Texas in Texas history, he appears to have had the most losses in Texas history. I'm going to stand by my. <laughs> stand by my previous statement. You have, you have in fact identified the quarterback that has lost the most games in Texas Longhorn history. Yeah, he's starting for the Colts this week. Yes, yeah, yeah. Ellinger. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, Taylor Heineke, who's absolutely the winningest quarterback in Old Dominion history, has to be. Has to be. Nobody's going to check me on that. He was undefeated in, was it the AAF he was in? That was only because he didn't play. Heineke? Yeah. Good for him. I think it was the AAF he was in. Was he? I think so. But he didn't actually get on the field, I don't believe. He was behind whoever else was there. We have double spring leagues this year? We have USFL and XFL this year. Yeah, right. Up. This is the first year of the XFL. We should cover that this year. We should definitely cover it. We've got to, somebody's got to deploy it to premium. We, I mean, we'll be we're collecting it. I know, but we collected the last thing and didn't show up, did it? It's an ultimate. I know, but it's not in premium. Yeah, well, that'll that'll get the people here. Um, I think I would lean. Where the heck would I lean here? <laughs> Indy's favored by three. Yeah, with Ellinger. All right. I would lean Washington, so I'm team Ellinger here. Yeah, I think Washington has a better team. Like, that defensive line is good. Um, I think they've got good skill position players as well. And, look, God, if, like, okay, Taylor Heineke has not been good. But if you're betting between Taylor Heineke and Sam Ellinger, I'm still banking on Heineke, I think. So, Washington. (sighs) Ellinger has the second most pass yards in school history, someone thinks. Yeah? So that's, yeah. I mean, that's Drake also... Holiday. Not, Drake, no. I mean, I'm not going to check you on that, Drake. I trust you. Yeah, that's you also just trust me. not what you said, but sure. I, I knew he was leading in something. So uh, that's it, man. Those are the games. Go check out the PFF app right now. Check out our uh, our favorite bets <laughs> on there, fantasy matchups. What's so funny? <laughs> this, this, uh, Jared from the chat says Steve's just creating his own alternative reality in his head now with all these picks. Which is great. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's my, honestly, that's my they weakness. They want a World Series prediction now. A World Series prediction? Yeah. Red Sox. Okay. Red Sox are Perfect. Win. They're not in it. No, they suck. I would yeah. say uh, Astros in six. What do you think? Oh, so next week, right? Um, Seth Payne is going to be on the show to preview mm. Eagles and 
Texans. So the, it's right. Philly and Houston are playing yeah. in the Super Bowl, and they're playing Thursday night football next week. So Seth will have he's a big Astros guy. Okay, you know he does Houston radio, so he'll give us some some World Series takes next week. Are they still cheating, or is that a is that a one time thing? The trash can stuff. Sure. Curveball. Yeah, yeah, they got caught. So I think there's they that. either found a new way or they've been cut <laughs> off. But they brought in Dusty Baker. He came in and you know he brought some grit to the table there for Houston as the manager, and he you know canned the cheating canned the canning yeah yeah that was it cleaned we, it up we're doing the baseball tomorrow baseball tomorrow yep so Great we need American. your world series prediction i'll take astros and six it's the astros and phillies sam okay. it's best of seven if you sure. don't know yeah, i know that yeah uh-huh. what do you think phillies and seven say let's go the distance phillies and seven yeah wow it's going all the way bryce harper legacy series mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, get your final predictions in for whether or not I'm going to achieve 60 miles an hour pitching. And more importantly, donate. It's on my pinned tweet. We'll yeah, stick it in the description here as well. We'll finally get this one wrapped, wrapped up and get on to the next charity drive and find out if I can pitch 60 miles an hour. All right, real quick, give us your best guesses in the chat. What number is Sam going to hit? Yes. Let's see. Guaranteed 60 was, the, was my, you know. Can I chat? Claim. In the beginning. But you, you can't, the, the PFF can't guess. What kind of crap is that? My guess is in. Your oh, guess. Drake. Maybe Drake's the one creating his own alternate reality saying you're going to throw 72. Yeah, even I think that's optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> I've been going out with the gun once. It would take quite a lot to get to 72 now. All right. So appreciate everybody for tuning in. As always, we're here Thursdays previewing all of next week's action for the NFL. We'll be back here on Monday morning reviewing all things week eight. And what we're going to do is we'll record tomorrow, spool up a nice little fun video, have that on our Twitter account, maybe on our TikTok, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And uh, DK wants you to eat another pepper as well. Let's go eat some peppers. All right. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you again Monday morning.